pocket. Third degree, the third degree in their pocket. Third degree, the third degree in their pocket. Third degree, the third degree in their pocket. Third degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. Soccer 90 is your source for all your FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club and national team gear. They've got scarves and shirts and tees and a whole lot more. And because you're a good, sweet, third-degree listener, you get that 25% off all other gear when you use the code thirddegree at checkout at Soccer90.com. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. It's a victory podcast because since we last spoke, FC Dallas beat the youngsters from down south, from North Austin, uh, and that is a good thing because it's the first win in 10 tries. And it, Oh, it's definitely the first win since the last time they played Austin. And so that's all good. So joining me today, as normal, our good friend Dan Crook. Hello, Dan. Woo! Only beaten one team since August, but beaten three times. <laughs> that's uh, that's a good way to put it. And of course, your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, editor, founder of ThirdDegree.net, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hi, guys. I have to say that the season being almost over is actually making me feel better about things, believe it or not. Uh, I have so many thoughts about what happened uh, this past weekend. And unfortunately for you and Dan, Buzz, you were victim of my hot sports opinions about all things FCD Mm. uh, in our chat group. And uh, I have made the choice to... Um, shield the podcast listener from those because they're just a little too dark and a little too gloomy and I don't want to bum everybody out. But don't be surprised that I'm the grumpy old man that isn't happy that everybody's happy that we beat Austin FC. Would we yeah. expect anything else? <laughs> Probably not, no. Yeah, well, Peter, as I, as I wanted to say in the chat when you were expressing those opinions, it was like, you're welcome to say all that stuff all you want. Just sometimes we don't, Dan and I don't agree with you all the time, so that's fine. You're allowed to be grumpy. It's no problem. All right. Well, thank you for that. You guys are good friends for letting me be grumpsters uh, on, uh, at, at your cost. So, uh, all right. Well, uh, they did it. They did end up beating Austin again for the third time. How many wins does Dallas have this year? Uh, seven. All right. So almost half of their wins came from an expansion club. Yeah. I wonder how many came against Houston. I should have looked that up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, I, now, now we can say one of those wins came from a very sweet evening against the New England Revolution, which, by the way, set an all-time points record for the league uh, and is one of the best teams this league has ever seen in an individual season. So there's something to hang your hat on there, too. See, I could be positive. Well, and they even beat Sporting on the road, you remember, right after oh, that that's game. True. That was that that's two true. game Dallas is unbeatable that was stretch a good, for two stretch games. Or, yeah, that was <laughs> how weird this season has turned out. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I look, there's all kinds of things to talk about. And I, I don't know if you guys want to spend a lot of time talking about 
the Austin game in particular. Uh, the big, I think the big most interesting part of that is that for some weird reason, Dallas wins a game, yet they did it with the lineup that essentially Lucci left off with, which includes the return of Nikosi Tafari in the back line. Well, yeah, it was super positive to see Nikosi get back in there. And Marco did say that, uh, as we had talked, basically Hedges is a lock. And if Martinez hadn't gotten hurt like the day before, Tafari wouldn't have played. So that that's kind of a bummer to hear that. But yes, basically we're back to a lineup that's even more play the kids even than Lucci. Because you had Jesus, you had Pepe, you had Paxton, Obreon's still in there. Those are the guys that... Uh, Lucci was playing with Shun mixed in, you know, still still the same. But then you got Edwin Cerullo and Brandon Cervania who are both playing phenomenal ball, and they're keeping uh, Facuna Quinone and Brian Acosta out of the lineup. Those, so that's even more play the kids than Lucci was doing. And really, the only change that you've, the only dramatic, consistent change from Marco is the stability in the back issue. He went veterans. He went old guys, guys that are getting paid a lot of money. Hasn't necessarily been the answer. It looks to me like the answer is put Tafari back in there. That seems to be the answer. Dan, it was uh, Nikosi showing off once again. I, I, I don't know. I, I, again, I, I still have, I still have the open request for some stat nerd or some tactician chalkboard guy to draw me up or send me over a spreadsheet that tells me why the eyeball test is wrong that Nikosi is actually the best center back on this team. I mean, it's, it's not. He's been the, the informed guy. And, you know, even in that game, there was, uh, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Gite was making a run in the first half through pretty much unchallenged through the FC Dallas midfield on a breakaway from a set piece. It's Nikosi that, that from behind dispossesses him and kind of just, you know, saves Dallas blushes a little bit. It was Nikosi that puts in that long ball that produces the winner. Uh, sorry, it produces the red card. I mean, you know, the, I mean, the, the nice thing was, you know, Mark after the game says, hey, sometimes you live for these moments where someone proves you're wrong. Uh, Mark also produced the most brilliant comedic moment. Somebody asked, well, what, what made you uh, put, put Nikosi in the, back in the lineup? And expecting this really long, detailed, thorough answer, he said, well, two dominoes fell. One, Jose got injured. Two, Nikosi was ready. That's such a weird answer, because wasn't Nikosi ready and proving himself when he got the job? Well, sure, but it's the Martinez getting hurt. You know, I think that means also instead of that Brisson wasn't ready is the implication ah, there ah, is that okay. Brisson must have still be recovering from whatever's been keeping him out, you know, or, or so the, basically Mar- Marco's saying that Nikosi is the fourth choice. And so okay. only got in because two other guys were not available. Okay, but am I crazy? I, I, look, I'm, I'm more than willing to be wrong here, but am I crazy for saying that to my untrained eye, Nikose, Nikosi has been consistently the superior center back to either Brisson or Martinez more consistently or just overall period this entire season. I, I think so, and I agree with you. But I, trying to answer that question, I did look at some stats. And what I can come up with is that Nikosi has a whole lot of clearances and he has recovery pace that allows him to make up for mistakes of himself and of others. What he does not have a lot of is things like blocks or 
duels or aerial uh, ball wins. You know, so the the thing that I think we're not we're not taking into account is that Marco, in particular, in terms of his idea of like we're going to fix the defense, he talked after that about tactical stuff. He talked about tightening the spaces. He talked about shrinking the gaps between the lines. He talked about how they're going to make different decision making. All of that, as a coach, in general terms, makes one think I'm going to lean on some veterans that can make these mental adjustments and a guy like Nikosi Tafari, who is still very, very inexperienced as a center back is not necessarily going to be able to make those adjustments. Now I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying that's the thinking I come up with is if you're trying to make a better team cohesive defense, that might lead you to leaving out Tafari. Now I disagree with the idea because Tafari is the only center back you have that can make up for mistakes and this defense has a lot of mistakes in it. You know, there's some young kids playing various spots. And so his ability to cover ground and fill holes and make up uh, after mistakes are made and catch a guy, that's why the defense looks better with him in there. It's because he can fix mistakes after they've already happened, as opposed to what I think the coach wants, is there not to be mistakes in the first place. And that that's the difference. I think, uh, you know, you kind of definitely hit on the 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 mentality deal right the the changes and Lucci always said you know whenever anyone talks about oh you know Nikos is doing really well he always went to yeah he's really surprised us with the, his capacity for the mental side of the game we weren't sure if he had that aspect down and uh, yeah that seems to be Marco's deal right is you know the, these vets that I know their thought process this that and the other I mean could be Nikosi wasn't training well. It could be, you know, kind of any of that. But it just seemed that the theme's always been relying on the vets, maybe not not the young guy that's uh, just been kind of knocking it out. And even if it is, you know, relying on recovery place in part. Now, keep, keep in mind, right? Think of it this way. If you're Marco and you're coming out of the front office, you're not watching training every single day, right? So oh, you haven't was, though. Uh, he was a lot, but not not as long. I'm just looking for where this gap might be. Like why you would think Nikosa wasn't mentally ready and wasn't playing high enough level. If you're not watching enough training and all you have is like the tape and you're seeing some mistakes happening, but you're not you're not there every day and watching him progress and watching him express these ideas and, and adapting to the ideas, maybe that's where that gap comes from. I'm, I'm kind so, of reaching looking for why there's a gap. I will say one thing, um, Nikosi's game, and it's you know part of why there's so many clearances, is he's the guy that aggressively goes after the ball. He will leave his mark to chase the ball. Now, if you're a coach that's been brought in to tighten up things when you're virtually out of the playoffs already, you don't necessarily want that. You want the guy that sticks with his mark, that, you know, that stops him getting involved in the play period, and then... You know, whoever zonally is close to the ball can deal with it. That's a okay. See, uh, that's yeah, a real- see, yeah. See, th- Dan, I think you've touched on something because I remember going and and oddly, this is against Austin. I remember being at the game in Austin and noting how fans, Austin fans around me, were all taking note of uh, Tafari constantly winning and clearing or or cleaning up. Uh, in the back, and and it was more than one person. There were multiple people who are like, "Wow, that guy's really good. Who is that guy? I've never seen him. I don't know who he is." You know those kind of comments. 
And I and I think Dan, you're right. I do think the frustration from the coaching staff, or at least Marco's uh, point of view, might be that Nikosi is the guy that will leave his mark to go chase the ball. And I do think that's part of the reason why we all take note of him is that he does engage with the ball in these dangerous positions. But I'll also point out, I can't recall a single instance, and I'm sure there is, and I'm just not thinking of it, of him. Uh, overreacting to chase a ball that ended up costing the team a goal or a dangerous situation. Like he always seems to win those situations in the best of my memory. Right. Am I wrong about that? There there was actually one moment that stuck out to me. I think it was in the first half. They were defending the hall of fame end and he's marking a guy on the corner of the six at the front post. He runs off, leaves his mark, goes for a header around the penalty spot, misses it completely now, at that point, if that ball's tipped back in towards the front post, y- your man's got a free header and is probably right. scoring. It's just there hasn't been an instance where it's come back to bite the team. Consider, too, that Brisson is the other guy that plays that way, and he also is not getting <laughs> chosen, right? But Brisson screws that up all the time. Sure, but that, that aggressiveness attacking of the ball, Marco is clearly, it's, I think you've hit on it, Dan, Marco seems to be going with the two stay-at-home conservative guys. And perhaps if you were looking for why are we leaving guys open that are getting these goals, it's like, okay, I'm going to go with the two dudes that stay home and mark up. So, again, that we're, we're searching for the answer as to why we're seeing the guys we're seeing because Marco says things about leadership and veteran stuff. He doesn't really dig into the minutia of it like this. Right. So I think this is a pretty good – that you know to see the two aggressive guys sit and for the two stay-at-home stable guys, that's – you know, that makes a lot of sense to me that that might be the reason. Yeah, see, and here's the other thing, though, uh, Buzz, is I don't, I wouldn't describe Tafari's uh, aggressiveness as dangerous. Now, Brisson, I think, is incredibly reckless in the way that he pursues opportunities. I don't see that in Tafari as much. Um, and that's part of the reason why I think Tafari wins almost all those situations, and Brisson so commonly is caught out of position or misses an opportunity and creates danger almost single-handedly. Brisson um, also runs 20 yards to chase a ball. Nikosi, right. at least, he's leaving a mark, and you know the ball's obviously going over their heads, so they're effectively out the play unless it's a second ball. You know, mm-hmm. So at least there's that. I well, guess it's, it's careless versus reckless. And some of it, too, is Nikosi has more speed and range and athleticism than those other guys. So he gets the balls that Brisson doesn't get to when he does that aggressiveness. You know, So that's why you don't see him get burned by it. And even if he does make a mistake, again, he has the athleticism to recover that these other three guys don't have. And when all things are equal, the athletic guy wins, right? Mm, yep, for mm-hmm. sure. And, I, you know, uh, look, I, I think uh, going into next year – the story of whether or not he signs another deal or is still with this club or finds another place to play, I think, is one of the uh, big storylines running into 2022. Yeah, and confirmation, by the way, that he is up is that some random fan asked him if we were going to see him or they were looking forward to him next year or whatever. And he said, well, that's yet to be determined. So we can't we can't we can't confirm that that conversation happened. We're taking that. Well, off true. One person's. <laughs> claim that he had that conversation or they had that conversation true but i was 95 percent, 98 percent sure anyway because most guys that are drafted as he was drafted get a one plus one kind of situation you, okay. you only get the longer deals if you're homegrown and stuff like this so it's not at all a shock that he's out of contract and then the other uh i don't i i don't think it's a surprise but it was a nice relief to see ricardo Pepe 
return to the starting lineup. But I am going to ask the question, are you guys in agreement with me that uh, Pepe did not look very good in this particular game? Well, I don't know what Dan thought. I, I thought he looked like a guy who hadn't played in a couple of games. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's, how I, that's the best way to put it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. Know, um, I mean, you know, they were paying so much attention to him. It was, you know, it was uh, a little bit, you know, the, the few chances he had, uh, I don't remember being particularly uh, clear cut. Yeah, you know, sometimes a team can be better just for having the right guy in there because we 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 talk about while his movement isn't elite, he at least does make movements that put the center backs under stress, and he creates space for Jesus. Whereas Franco is very much like a post up center stand there kind of guy, and you get a very different shape and a very different defensive movement because of that lack of movement from Para. Hmm. Uh, overall, I think the other highlight of the game was the uh, trio of homegrowns in the middle of the field between another, you know, one of these performances out of Jesus that we've and, and we're starting to get these consistently now, right? Like it used to be we'd get a good performance out of Jesus and then we'd get kind of a couple of games of where'd Jesus go. But now we're starting to see him more consistently do his thing. He scores the goal uh, to tie the game up. Uh, and 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 then Brandon and Edwin behind him as a trio all seem to be clicking very nicely. Yeah, Jesus, I would say since he got left out of the national team back in, was that August? You know, basically since the last time they beat uh, Austin FC, he's been absolutely on fire and carrying this team in a lot of ways. And he his team of the week performance in this game, for me, almost felt like it was a recognition of that because it wasn't like this game was better than any of the others. They've all been phenomenal. And you're right that Surreal and Cervania are both playing the best soccer of their career, both of them. Uh, both of them have are ahead of the two guys that are there and are staking claims to themselves getting new deals or getting new opportunities next year. And I hope that whoever comes in as a coach, whether it's Marco, whether it's somebody else, that they get to see some of this game tape because there's a lot of this that we're going to be talking about over the next month. It's going to really come up again, and it's going to be really important. You know, and either this question is open to either one of you guys, <clears throat> and I have an opinion on it, but I'm, I'm, I want to hear from you first about this. Uh, pertaining Cervania or Cerio, are either one of those guys playing so well would they be a starter on one of the top 10 MLS teams? Uh, Surreal, no. Cervania, uh, top 10. I got to think about who's in the top 10. Yeah, Cervania could be. Surreal, no. Surreal's got some holes in his games that need to. He's playing better than Facundo right this minute. But there are some things that keep him from being a top 10 type holding mid in this league. He's not there yet. He's, he's capable of getting there. He's not there yet. Brandon is bringing uh, progression dribbling and progression passing. But this this team has sorely missed all year. And the ability to do that and the ability to keep your defensive positioning and play good defense, he's legitimately box-to-box -box or even more midfielder on this team, covering up defensively outside with O'Brown frequently, covering up for Surreal frequently. Uh, so he's playing good enough, I think, to be a top-10 team starter. But Edwin will get there eventually. He's just not there yet. Dan, you got any thoughts on this? Yeah, I actually just went and looked who the top 10 are right now. And yeah, he, uh, yeah, Sylvania definitely. I mean, I'd actually say maybe uh, there's a couple of those teams that could do with an Edwin Surreo, honestly. Um, you know, you look at uh, 
Colorado, how they base everything around Jack Price. And I'm not saying Jack Price and Edwin Sierra are equals, but I mean, it's that kind of player who's, you know, you can kind of, isn't necessarily a world beater, but has that defensive grit and a range of passing that you can really just base everything around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Colorado's very different when Acosta's in there with Price. It makes a big difference in my mm. book. You know, um, they don't have to use him as left back or something weird or he's called up or whatever. It makes a big difference for them. But um, Yeah, I, I asked the question because as we start to think about, and I'm sure we'll get into more of this in another pod uh, once the season is officially over, you know, super officially over, like there's no more game schedule kind of over, um, is are Brandon Cervania and Edwin Cerillo really legitimately starter quality MLS types for a team fighting for championships at this point? Or, in other words, does the club still have work to do in finding veteran players from other countries to come in here and help buffer those roles? Well, 100% yes, Dallas needs to bring in veteran players, but that's as much about the current veteran players as it is anything else. Um, But yes, both of those guys... Uh, could be a starter or a key contributor on a team chasing championships. Now, I, I don't think you can win a MLS Cup with Edwin yet, but I think both of those dudes have the ability to be MLS lifers. Like those guys could be a starter in this league for over a decade each. That's the kind of ability they have. Now, the players that are like that take a tiny bit longer to progress. They're not ready at 15. They're ready more at like 20, which is where both those guys are. So you're, they're both right on the cusp of being a dude that can play for a decade as a starter in this league. And both of them would be good enough to be part of a team that's going to lead you to MLS Cup. Now, those guys are not going to be good enough, I don't think, to carry you to an MLS Cup. You still have to have your DPs and you have to have your your players over the top. Now they, they got guys that could be that. Jesus could be that. Maybe Paxton could get back to being that. Pepe, if he stuck around, could be that, that top tier guy that could carry you. Brandon and Edwin are, are the tier below that, that honestly, if you're trying to build a team that's going to be good for a long time, you need those guys to stick around and be good for you for a decade. Hmm. And then Buzz, think? in your instant reaction video, uh, I, I was stunned when you named Hader Obreon as man of the match in that game. Yeah, I actually thought that that was just about O'Brien's best game of his entire FC Dallas career. He had the assist on both goals, and his defensive effort has come way up. Now he's not good at it, but he's he's at least he's at least now making the run all the way back and s- sitting on top of Imatua Masi. He still made a mistake that helped contribute to the goal that was scored against them, but. Uh, in the context of that game, in the context of Obreon's season, where he's now up to like eight goals or something, I mean, that's a, that's a legitimate contribution. So for me, I thought he was, honestly, I thought he was the most impactful player in terms of his direct contribution in that game. So he was my man of the match. Yeah, I don't remember what the incident was. Maybe I'm confusing games, but I swear there was a moment where I just wondered if they could just pack him up in a box and ship him off somewhere mm. anonymously and just never see him again. And maybe I'm conflating games I or something. I think I was, I'm with you. I was kind of watching the game. I was just like, he's having an awful game that's had two brilliant moments in it. Uh, just, you know, his passing was so below par. I think he had uh, 10 or 15 passes just wasn't, you know, the moments he got, he really got into the game, yeah, completely impactful. It's just he, f- they were so few and far between. 
And I don't know if it was a, I don't remember if it was a moment where he should have passed when he shot or he passed when he should have shot or it was some crummy shot or whatever it was. I don't remember. And I do wonder, Buzz, if, because you're such a good natured and good hearted guy, (laughs) you're not a, you're not a, a a worn nub of, of uh, tattered nerves like I am about all of this, that you just see improvements in his game or you see that he's trying to correct the things that we've all been ragging on him for all season, and that's why you see the bright side of his game, and, and maybe some of us tend to just look at him and go, oh, my God, this is terrible. Well, th- there is some of that. Like we, Remember, we talked about he's a role in the mob, right, where it's like 80% of the game is worthless. Well, it's not that case anymore. It's now much better than that. And just for an example, like you're, you're correct. His passing was only about 67%, but he also had 14 duels and won them at 62%. And that's four duels ahead of anybody else and more than double everybody else but Paxton. So, you know, look, there are moments that you don't like, like the goal that got allowed the other way. He made the wrong play and he went deep instead of covering the run into the middle. That's on him. Uh, but it's also on Emma. Like, they, Emma, they didn't communicate properly. So that's a work in progress. So for me, Obreon in this particular game was my man of the match because of the fact that he was a he stopped all the diving, he's corrected the defensive effort in the sense that he's getting back into position. Marco has affected that, I'm assuming. He's going at people and taking people on at a higher rate and more successfully than anybody else on the team, and he got two assists on the day. So like all those things together for me, he was the man of the match. He got he got fouled three times, which led the team too, which tells you that his aggressiveness was being effective, that they were having to foul him. So, mm-hmm. look, it's it's not perfection by any means. It's just, for me, remember often when I do a man of the match, there's always context involved. It's, it's sure. you know, it's always this big picture thinking sometimes too. And so uh, that was the reason for me, like I thought that it was the best game of his career in Dallas. And I thought that was worthy of being man of the match. I was definitely glad he uh, learned from... It was an early moment. He made a run down the wing, threw himself to the ground trying to win a free kick. When if he'd have stayed on his feet, uh, you know, they were in such an advantageous position, he probably would have picked up a third. Assist. Yeah, I think I think Steve Davis even made that same comment on the broadcast. <laughs> yeah, it ain't perfect by any means, but but you know, I, compared to where there was a point earlier in the year where we were all ready to ship him out, it's like now I find him to be a valuable part of the team. You know, that's that's all progression. Right, now I'm gonna I'm gonna put that to the test, Buzz. Do you find him a valuable enough part of the team that you don't look for another right wing player to start in his position for 2022? You absolutely look for another player because there is not a backup. Uh, I don't look for a player to come in ahead of him. I look for a player to come in and compete with him because I want somebody to compete everywhere. Like it could just be Dante Sealy. If you just brought back Dante Sealy, that would be fine. It can be, or it could be another homegrown. Like, but just right now, there's no legitimate competition for him, and that's a problem. Okay. Uh, let's see. I, I, we did talk about Jesus some, see, I, I, again, when you talk about man of the match and, and I think this is where your context comment come in, comes in. Cause I think Jesus is probably my man of the match of that game. Um, but I don't know. It just, I mean, he, he was good. I just thought that Jesus actually was not as good in that game as he had been in the previous five games, for example. But I still think he was better than Obreon overall in that game. And that game in particular, if you just look at that moment in time, I don't want to, and I'm not trying to argue with you or debate yeah. the match. I'm just, that's why when you said it, I was surprised by it. Well, Jesus it up. passed at 69%, which is 2% better than Obreon. Mm-hmm. He had three shots. Obreon had three, one on goal each, right? 
Oh, Brown had two assists. Jesus did not. Uh, Jesus's X assist is 0.04. O'Brien's was 0.62. So uh, duels 14 to three. Jesus had three duels. Jesus right. ran out of 14. So look, uh, you, I, I, in my I, face. Yeah, well, I'm not <laughs> saying that because I did consider Jesus, but I actually thought it was a lesser. Like, Jesus did took six corners. He's now the corner guy. So like he's not getting that part of impact in his game anymore. He only yeah. had one key pass, which is low for him now at this point. O'Brien had one also. So, you know, and you could argue Franco Harris, Franco Harris should have been man of the match. He had a goal. He had two key passes. You know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned that because again, and this all this all uh, gets back to me being so uh, un I, I, un and unhappy about the result and and the celebrations that took place afterwards. Because here is a Dallas team struggling to get three points against a terrible below par. Uh, expansion club who are also playing down a man by the way and uh lo and behold in the waning minutes of the game frank o'hara a guy that we've i don't think we've seen score a nice goal this entire season they've all been kind of these weird clunky junky goals comes in and actually scores a really high quality and somewhat difficult goal to win the game and i thought there's your season in a nutshell right there yeah, listen, Frank O'Hara has professionalism. He has work rate. He has a fantastic attitude. That goal shows you the skill level he has that is phenomenal. It's just a problem of how old he is and how he can't really run anymore. It's like, if, if honestly, four years ago, if you'd have gotten him, we'd all been celebrating and partying. He would have been phenomenal coming off that Pachuca Champions League yeah. win when Dan Hunt fell in love with him. And then he went like a little boy and didn't bring enough money. If you'd have bought him then, we'd have loved the guy. Instead, you waited four years until he was free and nobody wanted him. And now he's basically worthless. Now, I, okay, I'm not going to say worthless. He does bring out some good things to practice. I think he's probably helped Pepe more than we know. But, you know, his contribution now is I'm a good leader and I'm going to show the kids how to be a pro. That, and I'm going to score a fluke goal every once in a while. That's well, That wasn't a fluke. That was a great goal. <laughs> yeah, it was a fantastic goal. Yeah, late sub is great. Good role. I like the reaction it. reaction to that uh, to that deflection as well. I mean, that's not even reading the cross, just reacting off the, defle- off the deflection off the Austin player and still getting perfect contact with that. It was just incredible. Look at it this way. If he wasn't $3 million a year, if you had him on 300 k and it was just this veteran super sub role, teach Peppy how to be a pro. If that's all it was, I'm ecstatic. It's the three million that ruins it. I I suppose, although in terms of the salary, uh, in terms of the salary cap, he's the he's a he's a DP level. It only counts so much against it. The rest of it's just Dan's money out of his sofa cushions. You know, it's. I guess you could make the argument that that's money not spent on other players, but I'm not sure that's how they think about this. Well, I, the Hunts definitely think about their internal budget because remember they've never gone above a million for a player before, and now all of a sudden they went three. So no, it's like, I get it. Yeah, I, I, no, I understand. I'm just, I'm just saying if there was, well, okay, never mind. I don't want it. it uh, that's yeah, too- I agree with you that like in terms of the salary cap, the knockdown makes him much more easy to digest you know i wish it was sort of half of what it really is in terms of the knockdown in terms of the salary cap i just i think that when you're talking about the hunts you always have to count both salary cap and internal budget because i do feel like in order to get hara and keep him that they have actually cut salary in other places you know macro level salary in other places in order to try and keep that budget in line right compared to three years ago for example i think you can look at if you went and looked like wasn't there a point when reto was here there were seven guys that were dps 
technically above the line, and yeah. now there's only four. So the, like, there is definitely a decrease in spending in some other spots. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and then I'm. Uh, it says here in Buzz's famous crayon, red crayon written run sheet, there was another post-game spat amongst the staff and players. Yeah, again, I did not see this one, but I heard about it in multiple spots. Apparently, Peter Lucine and Shabolk Schoen had some somewhat heated words in the post game and had to be, you know, separated to some level. I didn't see it, so it's hard to comment. There's just a continued little bit of a disconnect between the youngsters and uh, the coaching staff right now, for hmm. sure. No idea what it's about, though, or I, what I did, it was about? Uh, no, and we didn't have any idea about Pepe and Jesus before, you know, other than. I'm sure that they're not happy with the relative amount of their playing time they're getting versus maybe some veterans who are getting playing time, you know, or perhaps, um, uh, look, I don't want to speculate because I'm just guessing. I really have no idea. It's just there's definitely players upset at this point in the season, but it's a bad season. This kind of thing happens when there's bad seasons. It, oh, coaches yeah. get fired. There's probably all kinds of stuff in the locker room we have no idea about at this point. You know, this is just the, the late games twice in a row now. We've seen this on the field in the post game. Uh, and that's, you know, that's the, that's the tip of the iceberg, right? We're not seeing the, the, the Titanic wrecking iceberg underneath, <laughs> you know, that's, that's actually really all going on. Hmm. Um, w- real quick question before we move on, how many players do you think, and would it take a new coach before Austin is a legit, uh, side in MLS? How far off do you think they are, Buzz? Uh, not he that is a terrible coach. <laughs> I'm not like Lucci needs I'm... time. Josh Wolf just needs to not coach soccer. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I was not too blown away by the Wolf hire, but I've not seen him work enough specifically with Austin to be able to tell you how he is. I think they're not that far away. Their DPs are pretty good, and they have a couple of uh, vets like Ring that are solid. Hold up, build up your team around. But like a lot of uh, expansion teams, though, it's all the gaps in between that are problems. Like, you know, FC Dallas fills those gaps with homegrowns, you know, and the other bad teams that have decent DPs that are bad. It's because they don't have all those other eight or nine, ten pieces that you need to fill in your 11 and plus depth and guys get called up or guys get hurt, you know, and then all of a sudden you're dogging. You know, a lot of their success that they did have was based on their goalkeeper standing on his head a lot. Um, and then Dallas exposed him a little bit and he looked pretty weak after that for a while. So um, they definitely have a bunch of middle of the roster pieces they're missing. And that's why they're not any good. Yeah, I just, you know, in thinking about how bad all of the teams are this this year in the state of Texas, like Texas just sucks at Major League Soccer currently. Um, it just how far away they are. Are they, you know, are they a Nashville? Are they a... Um, or are they Minas- uh, not Minnesota, uh, Miami at this point? I, I don't have a really good sense as to how far they're off. I don't either. We'll have to see what kind of moves they make, which direction they go. You know, they, they have, like I said, I think they have better pieces than Miami does. But, you know, Nashville did a really great job of building to their defense and they're building their base versus like an Atlanta that went out and spent a bunch of money. But both of those teams, for example, and even LAFC, for example, they had success at 
be getting big price guys and getting some veterans like Atlanta, Jeff Lorenowitz was huge for them. They, they like drafted well, like their rookie first round pick, like played right away and was successful. You know, if you, if you hit on those middle and bottom of the roster and rookie kind of pieces, then you can be better. Austin didn't hit on those. Their DPs look decent and, but there are other pieces that they missed on a lot other than ring who's terrific. Well, Dallas has one game remaining, and that would be Decision Day. And that comes on a West Coast trip out to the Earthquakes and all of the excitement that comes with an Earthquakes uh, matchup. Uh, I'm going to assume it's going to be the same starting 11, Buzz. I mean, I can't imagine, right? I mean, surely this is probably Pepe's last game, is it not? You know, yeah. if, I mean, surely he's in there. Uh, O'Brien, Paxton, and Jesus, obvious. Edwin and Cervania have been playing great. I mean, two of Masi Holland said, I mean, who else are you going to put in? Hedges is a lock. The only question is Tafari. Is Tafari going to keep – did he play well enough for Marco to leave him in? Or is Martinez healthy or is Brisson healthy enough that he's like, I just can't do it and has to go to those two guys? So that's the one guy. Tafari, is he in there or not? I, I mean, I think he should be, but I'm not the coach, so – You've got to look at like Cade Cowell's pace and say, okay, you need Tomasi, you need Tafara, you need people that can hang with him. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't considered it. Yeah, I mean, it's a no brainer to me. It's just Tafara, but I'm not, you know, I thought it has been the whole time. Well, not the whole time, the whole back half of the season it should have been, and it wasn't, so. All right. Well, I guess that's it for a preview of the San Jose game in the last game. I mean, uh, isn't it? Isn't it Chris Wondolowski's retirement? Oh, I thought he was going another year. Do not. I oh, is he? Oh, okay, I don't know. Marco said something earlier about it, so I wasn't sure. Maybe they haven't decided. Maybe it could be. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I because I was not at the game, was there any kind of particular uh, reaction to when uh, Pepe came off from the crowd? Kind of oh, recognizing? it was a huge stand innovation, yeah. Uh, I went great. down to close to the field to catch the Copa Tejas presentation, and I got down just before Pepe went off and yeah it was it was loud it's been fun yeah well oh here's here's just for you peter here's a thought i had this week you know we've talked a little bit about Pepe's representation being relatively new and all the noise we're hearing around his transfer yeah what what's the level of noise before clark hunts gets pissed and it's like you know what screw you you're staying here why I don't. I don't know. Is he mad enough? Why Is would he be mad that that Pepe's people are leaking all this information and, and trying to put pressure on the team nah. and not keeping? No. And the Hunts don't like chatter, man. That cash is way too important to okay. their bottom line. I, I agree. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, he is Clark is all business, and he uh, lives and dies by the rules of business. But I guarantee you, in the Clark Hunt. Uh, book of business rule number one is the bottom line yeah and whatever that check is they'll eventually get from whoever club x uh for uh all those digits is more important than leaked information yeah i just i just i totally agree with you 100 percent. i just wondered if there's a point at which he might not say we'll wait till the summer <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> I, i'm sorry what were you gonna say dan I was going to say, you know, it's kind of, is there a point now and was there a point before they had that little cash flow crisis? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. true. They need the money right now. That is all relative, right? It's just, yeah. it's about cash flow. It's not about what's in the reserves. It's about making sure the river is still flowing. And Yep. Um, I mean, this is yeah. supposed to be a self-sufficient team, which is, uh, you know, an applaudable thing to do. Um, 
I know a lot of people think that money will go to uh, Patrick Mahomes. It won't. It will go to the academy. It will go to new first team players. It will go to covering losses. But that's that's the that's it, right? Covering losses. Yeah. It is. You know, it's funny, uh, and we'll talk about the national team call-ups here a little bit, but I, I have no doubt that really that there is the, the proverbial champagne bottles that get popped on days like today in the Frisco offices, specifically with Dan. You know, he throws up a big Yahoo. When you see so many products out of his academy populating uh, the U.S. men's national team roster for an important qualifier. Maybe it's the most important one so far, the game, the home game against Mexico, because that's really what he talks about so much. And he's been very open about his desire to be a factory for the national team. Um, and so when we talk about the money and all that stuff, I do think that's the other part of this is what really drives their motivations. Yeah, I mean, it's a quarter of the team. Yeah. I mean, almost, yeah. I mean, if you want to throw Zimmerman in there as a draft pick or whatever the hell he was, then that, it really is a quarter. Yeah. So it's, it's ridiculous. It, it is pretty crazy. So um, earlier today, somebody, I don't remember how this got started, somebody on one of the social media platforms put a link up tied to Steve Fenn's tableau. Uh, about the different uh, MLS salary structures. And, and Steve does a fantastic job of building these graphical representations of how, in this particular case, each MLS team spends their money player by player by player. And it it really makes it easy to kind of understand how teams are built financially uh, or their rosters are built. And I was looking at the FC Dallas one, and something stuck out to me. And I wanted to talk about it with this, and maybe everybody else is way far ahead of me, and I'm so far behind, I'm going to sound like a sucker for uh, bringing it up at this point of the season. Uh, but I'm going to do it anyway, because, hell, I love being the sucker. Um, when you look at the FC Dallas payroll, which is $12 million, and puts them essentially kind of at the just below middle of the, of the pack in terms of spending, this is where I think it breaks down as to how a team like this ends up not making the playoffs. Of the top 10 salaried players on this team, which are in this order, Hara, Hedges, Faco, Acosta, Martinez, Pomacol, Brisson, Ferreira, um, uh, uh, Ricarte, and Obreon. There's your top 10 money makers in salary on this team. Of the top 10, only two of those top 10 are in the top five of minutes played this season. Only two of them, which is Jesus and Obreon. And your two DPs are 10th, Brian Acosta, and 15th, Frank O'Hara, in terms of minutes played this year. I, if there was ever anything to tell me where this, this club is broken in terms of the roster, it's that right there. And the money shot in terms of all of the stats out of all of this, in my opinion, is the fact that of the top 10, seven of the top 10 are signings that occurred under Andre Zanata. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you that it's actually worse than that. Because it's, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, I know. It's not just that it, the, the guys that have been signed are not playing. And listen, we definitely should say that there's a committee here that Dan Hunt has input on players. Marco Ferruzzi had input on players. Uh, Luchi Gonzalez had some input on players. Like, remember, Luchi wanted Faco. So, but Zanata's the one doing the contracts. So let me point out why it's even worse than you think it is. 
it used to be that in MLS we had something called non-guaranteed contracts, but that basically is not really a thing anymore. Essentially now, and I've talked about this, everybody's the, the basic contract, if you hear nothing else, it's three years contract plus two options. Those contracts are all these days guaranteed. Like if you, it used to be a case where if you waived a guy mid-season, he was just screwed. He didn't get any money or whatever, but that's not really true anymore. You got to pay the people what you've contracted to pay them. So if you look at the Dallas roster, those people you're talking about that are in the top 10 that are getting paid what they're getting paid, they're all on multiple year contracts, right? Hedges is Mm -hmm. through next season plus two options. So theoretically, you could pass on him if you wanted to after next season. Frank O'Hara is next season. Yes. Jose Martinez through 2023. Obreon through 2023. Paxson, who we like, is through 2023. Shun through 2023. Kenyon through 2023. Okay. Ricardo Pepe, even longer. Uh, so the bottom line is, is that there's a whole bunch of this team, maybe even 85% of this team, that is under contract already through 2022 and half of those past that through 2023. There's only a couple of players that you can actually get rid of. Now you can waive. There's two ways out of deals. You could do a one-time buyout where the owner pays his own money to buy out a contract. How likely do one of those a season. You could do one, one of those a season, but let's say even if you can't, if, if the hunts would do it, how likely are they to buy out, Frank O'Hara or a million dollar player or an eight hundred thousand dollar player. Not likely, right? It's the hunts. So if you waive a player, which you can still do at the end of the season, you can waive a player. But if nobody picks them, if nobody selects them in the waiver draft, you're still on the hook for their contract the next year. Now, listen, there's a maze of MLS rules. So maybe there's some shenanigans that they can get out of some of these deals. But for the most part, they're going to be stuck with the bloke of these contracts through two more seasons at least. Okay, so here's my question, because the thing that we haven't talked about, and it is the elephant in the room, which is who's going to be the manager of this club starting next year, and how much of what you just talked about, which is the fact that the 2021 roster, just because of by the reality that they're locked into all these contracts, isn't going to be that much different than your 2022 roster, and how does is that a limiting factor in the types of people that apply for this job? Oh, absolutely, because this is the system of the TDs. Like, I gave you a bunch of good players. After one year, if you couldn't win with them, I'm going to fire you and I'm going to get the next guy and see it because he needs to win with the guys I got you. That's basically what we are now. Because you can, we're pretty sure you can that Acosta's up and you can let him go. Brisson has an option. Hogsett has an option. Uh, Philippe, Ricarte, and Vargas all have buys. You can turn those down. So there's six names you could dump, and that's that's basically it. Everybody else, essentially. Oh, Edwin Cerillo, you could let him go. And Imatu Amasi, also an option. So you could let those two guys go. Oh, Nikosi Tafari has no contract. <laughs> so there's 10 dudes you can get rid of, but half those dudes I don't want to get rid of, and the other half that I do get rid of is only half of the people that are a problem. There's still five or six relatively big contracts you're stuck with no matter what. So, you know, you got to hope that they can find a guy that can either coach up, you know, and the, the worst part is the defense on this team is horrible, right? And three of them are uh, Jose Martinez and Cunion are both on two more year deals and Brisson, well, Brisson's an option, but, and, or Tafari's out of contract and could leave. Yeah. Hedges, I, Hedges on long-term too. That's the other one. So it's yeah. bad. We don't have there's do any of the three of us think Tafari will be here next year? 
uh, uh, I guess I would say to me, it's like, it's surely he's here. He's so good right now. It's like, how in the world could he not be here? And then I'm because like, oh my because God. Because he's, no, he's out of contract. He could go anywhere in the world. It's, it's, un- just- it's unfathomable to me that he wouldn't be here, but maybe you're right. Maybe he's like, I, I hate Dallas. I'm out. If I was him, especially getting benched when I was playing, when I was clearly the best defender on the team, <laughs> and I was making literally 10 times less than the guy that you benched me for. Literally 10 times less than the guy you benched me for. Yeah. Um, I, I would, I would want to pack up and go and try my hand at Europe too. Or hell, give, give one of the other MLS clubs. He, well, he may want to go back to New York. Well, let's talk about the logistics for a second. You can't sign with anybody else in MLS. He's not a free agent. This is MLS. Wow. Okay. Fair he's enough. not. He, he has. He doesn't have the four years, or he's not twenty-seven or whatever. So in MLS, he can't move in MLS. So he could go to USL for he sure. Could be traded. He could be traded. I'm talking about as a free agent. He can't just go sign with whoever he right. wants to. You could trade right. his MLS rights. He could go to the USL, where you're not going to get anywhere near the kind of money you can get in Major League Soccer. Yes, worldwide market. Absolutely. That's why MLS gets away with single entity because worldwide market. But has anyone? out there seen enough of him at, he's not a kid right I mean, he's 23 so that's not baby you know so I, I think there's less international value than you might think look i hope he's here he's one of my favorite new players on the team i just have this weird sense we've never we, we, we he may be one of the other guys we see for the last time in a dallas oh my god i mean for on, me he's a core Sunday. build around guy but you know i mean i guess we'll find out how dumb they are yeah hmm. okay well, thanks for uh, uh, putting up with me in the number thing because that was that was driving me nuts. Well, no, not only are you right, it's actually way worse because that though, <laughs> that that problem now is stuck here through twenty twenty three. It's not good. No, it's uh, it's not good at all. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, the other thing that did happen today was the uh, lovely news that we mentioned earlier. Both Ricardo Pepe and Jesus Ferreira were called up for the national team for these two very important men, U.S. men's national team games. First up, the game in Cincinnati against Mexico, and then the road trip to Jamaica. I, the thing I found most stunning about Burhalter's roster call-up is that Ricardo is essentially the only natural striker he has in the roster for these two games. Well, he had a quote where he basically said that Jesus is the, their other person. Like, he talked about him as the nine the whole time. So, yeah. like, for him, that's the guy. And the important thing for me, and, Dan, you will you know this better than I do because uh, I'm always confused about it. There's a threshold for Jesus in terms of international call-ups or whatever to get him, you know, ability to go to England, for example, um, and work permit stuff. You know, it's why it's so important if you're Jesus to get back into the national team. Uh, for that flexibility to go certain places like Pepe, we know we'll hit it, but Jesus, if he wasn't going to be in there, is not going to get oh, that. That's up. a good point. You yeah. know, that's that, so these camps, these call ups, and I, I think there's a higher value for actual qualifiers than friendlies. I'm not really sure. There's some sort of crazy metrics in there, but so Pepe actually won't necessarily hit it um, because it's over a two year period. Mm. Um, but it's yeah, it's a, like a, it depends on the percentage. It gives you so many points towards the the work permit application. Uh, yeah. I mean, they've both played certainly enough MLS games to to get a good number of points and 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 just get into the national team games as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is crucial for uh, for Hazes to get in the picture, and you know, uh, we we've talked about him being sort of 
you know, this is his, his cap time moment, right? Getting in a competitive game as well. I just wonder for those listening to the pod, we kind of jumped into a, kind of a nuanced conversation about how players move uh, leagues and so forth. And I wonder if we should just shouldn't reset the table for people that aren't familiar with that process. Sounds just, like a great off season podcast. Yeah, but just I mean, go, go Dan, can you just explain it at a very very base level what it is we're talking about? Yeah, so uh, work permits, particularly in the UK since Brexit, uh, are based on a point system. Uh, you get so many points for certain activities. So uh, you get so many points for playing, you know, say 90% of games for FC Dallas, uh, which is considered, I think, tier three, maybe four. Uh, so you get, you know, all the, these certain number of points. In the UK, you have to hit 15 points to basically guarantee your work perm application. So. Uh, a few years ago, Juan Aguilello tried to go to Celtic. He hadn't played enough for the U.S. men's national team. So the option was, uh, I think he ended up going to Stoke in the end, but that was because they paid so much higher a fee that that replaced the points for not playing for the U.S. Mm. Um, so, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole awkward system of things that don't make a whole lot of sense like uh i was gonna do something on actually on it when when brexit happened uh, revolving around reggie and brian uh, brian reynolds that is and honestly neither of them really looked too good on the on the point system so i just didn't have a good example to use and just uh, and this and what you talked about for the UK is not the same thing necessarily for going to play in Spain or Germany or Belgium. It, every league and national, every country is different in terms of how they do or don't allow players work permits. Correct? Yeah, um, the UK. I'm sorry, I realize I'm, I keep peeking. Um, the UK moved to this this whole 15 points deal. Um, for a lot of them, it's just notoriety. So before the points deal, if you were Man United and you said, hey, I want to sign this kid, not a problem. Hmm. If you were Luton Town you said, hey, I want to sign the same kid, you're not big enough to, for us to really care. Uh, so, right. you know, there's... And especially, you know, you get into countries like Spain where there's uh, foreigners' taxes and, and things like that involved. And uh, there's a lot of money changing hands in, in shady ways. Um, so getting back to the national team, I, I'm thinking about lineups and, and, and all of those things. Is there anybody that's ever put a, a minute's thought into the idea of bringing Jesus into the team just because how well he and Pepe play together and connect together and capitalizing on that in either one of these games? Yeah, we've talked about it, but um, Hayes, uh, Greg, Greg Balls, sorry, Greg Bearhalter does not use a off striker or attacking mid, he plays a straight four three three. So if, if you're going to play both Jesus and Pepe at the same time, then Jesus has to play false wing, has to play like um, in the spot where you would put Gio or you'd put Pulisic or the the spot that um, Aronson played Aronson. played last game. That sort of outside in false wing style. So yes, you can absolutely do it. Um, it doesn't make pure sense like it does with FCD where he's playing that underneath. 10 that that doesn't exist in Bearhalter's system so mm. change the system yeah absolutely otherwise he's going to have to fight with those wingers that are those slashing wingers that Bearhalter likes to use more often than not 
All right. Now, the other question related specifically to Pepe is part of, uh, you know, while I, I get why he's an instant call up to this team, but do either one of you have any concern that the fact that he's played very little since the last international window, he hasn't he's only started one game and he hasn't necessarily been playing very well because he's been coming off injury and he hasn't been getting playing time. Do, do we worry that uh, in this next window that may affect his, uh, his form uh, for these two national team games? I mean, I'm not really worried about it. I, I think they'll decide that in, in training, in camp. You know, I mean, that's why you bring in multiple people. I honestly think him, he and Jesus are basically going for one spot that you might see them split the two games. You know, um, I, I'm not too concerned about uh, Pepe. I, I think that a lot of – we talk a lot about his mentality – I think he'll be fine. You know, once he gets back in that environment and everyone's excited to see him again, I think it'll, it'll, it won't be a problem. Hopefully. I mean, you got to remember, he's he's still been training, just just sitting on the bench for two games because Hara was actually still scoring after coming back from that injury. Yeah, he just looked a little fat-footed in that game against Austin to me. He wasn't as smooth as normal. I, I don't know. Again, it's just it's it's because he hasn't been playing. That's the only reason. That's kind of why I asked yeah. the question. Also, around those big transfers, you know, some people buy into the hype yeah. and then they and he's got that all looming over him. Yeah, there was definitely a run early on where he 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 ran towards the keeper. It was a it was a fifty fifty ball and he kind of pulled out of it. So I don't know if maybe that was on his mind. Like, don't get injured. You've got national team. You've got a potential transfer. I, I think we just have to remember that he's eighteen years old, and I can't imagine um, being subject to the avalanche of stuff that has happened to that kid. And what has it been? Four months. It, literally, has it been three, four months then, since his good form for Dallas started? He gets the call up to the national team. Uh, he does the whole all star thing, and you know, <laughs> blows everybody away there. He then announces he's playing for the national team. Then he scores goals for the national team, and then suddenly he's one of the most in demand uh, Americans on the global stage. And I and how that doesn't affect you mentally uh, in some way, shape, or form seems almost impossible to me. Well, he's, you know, he has had little ups and downs before in his career in terms of, uh, you know, being, having some really hot success in, in a relative terms, you know, he would had great moments for the Academy and then he was signed to the first team and then doesn't play. And then he make, gets in with the North Texas and he has a hat trick in the first game and then comes to FC Dallas and he doesn't play. So like that kind of roller coaster with Pepe has been there. Yeah. Uh, the short answer to your question is basically it was like August was when he started on the you know, torrential uh, run of goals. Now he was starting before that. You can go, you know, back to like June, July when he started to actually start. But the the scoring tear, like really, I suppose the hat trick versus uh, L.A. was sort of the big kickoff. And that was late July, possibly. So, yeah, you know, four or five months, basically, that this thing's been kicking off big time. Yeah. Well, it'll be fun to see how it goes. The idea that he would be starting against Mexico in that critical game. Uh, I mean, could you have imagined we'd be talking about that at the beginning of this year? No, no. Or at the beginning of, you know, the, begin, the, beginning of the season or hell, even in May? I, no. I no. Lord, no. 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 Yeah. It's ridiculous. All right. Now, uh, the little kids, little FC Dallas, North Texas Soccer Club, did make the playoffs, and they have a game against Chattanooga coming up. 
Yeah, unfortunately, this is funny. Chattanooga is the team that has, for some reason, victimized North Texas with late goals. They had three games out of the four that they played them where Chattanooga scored in the 90th plus minute. So they took away two wins and they took away a tie from North Texas. Uh, so North Texas has not beaten them this year. They're 0-2-2 and with three blown games basically in that stretch. Now, over the last month, They've been getting better at that late-blown game thing. They've been getting fitter. They've been getting more mentally tough. So the Dow, uh, North Texas is on a really hot run. I think they've won six of seven or something. So they're in a good position in terms of hot streaks to actually get it done on the road. But this is a team that's more mature and more physical and has this ability to get them late for some reason. So this is a tough out. But um, we've talked a lot about you know, Quill coaching for this gig, just like Marco is and Quill's produced results. And if he can push them over the line, it's going to go a long way for him in terms of expressing, I should be the guy to get this. And it's basically three games and you have it, you get have you have an entry game and then you have a conference final and they have a final. So that they got three game shot all on the road because they're the low seed, but um, they could possibly get it done. Is that and that is that game here or there? Oh, they're on the road. Yeah, it's all on the road because they're the bottom seed. Ah, okay. So they'll be on the road the whole time. And I'm sorry if you said it, I missed it. When is the game and what time? Oh, uh, Saturday. <laughs> you put me on the spot. I didn't actually look at that specific info. I'll, okay. I will look it up while we sit here. All right. Uh, while Buzz looks up the information for the game, the other thing that I wanted to talk about, and I will vamp here for a few seconds while his internet works at furious speeds to bring up the information he's looking for, <laughs> is the uh, announcement today of the evaporation of the final original MLS club logo as the New England Revolution kept their name but changed their brand appearance uh, and this has been leaked. Uh, uh, this, I swear I saw this uh, this version of this logo months ago. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And it turned out to be the real deal. Uh, all right, Buzz, well, hold on. We'll pause on that. I'll put a comma there. Yeah. Did you find the info? Yep. It's at 6 p.m. Central Time on Saturday. Game's on ESPN Plus at Chattanooga. All right. There you go. And they have got gone away from the crayon flag, as everybody lovingly referred to it as, and have now gone to something that I think looks a lot like like a lot like the Rangers logo. Rangers being the Scottish football team, not the Texas Rangers. Uh, it'd be funny if they had a big giant hat, <laughs> a cowboy hat in their logo, but they don't. Um, I am. I think it's fine. I think it's better than fine in terms of a logo. I think it's better than what they've got. I. I my bigger question is when do those dudes get in their own stadium? That's my big question about that club because they're obviously a good soccer team. Yeah, that, that's the big thing there. They they made a big deal about not being FC. Uh, it is a good logo. And by the way, I have some fresh hot news we should talk about if we're done with the logo talk. You tell me when you're done with it. Well, no, it's a we downgrade, but it's okay. You don't like it as much as the original logo. No, the original is fantastic, but the original is also something that is not easily trademarkable because it just looks like the American flag with the Champions League ball in it. <laughs> well, I, I guess my interest in terms of what they're doing is, one, how much will this tie into a larger brand uh, rebranding of the club? Uh, you know, there was a bunch of it was interesting because in the I think it was Pablo Mora that wrote the article about it. There was a. They also showed off a series of secondary 
uh, graphic marks, and one of them I thought they absolutely should have used as the crest, which is the triangle with the uh, spruce tree in the middle of it and 97 at the bottom. I thought that alone would have been a totally kick-ass new crest. I don't know why they didn't use that. Um, and I, I want to know if this is going to show up with new uniforms and new, you know, kind of a new thinking in terms of what their brand identity is going to be. They're keeping the revolution. I'm great. And again, I'm going to go back to it because clearly they're the best team in the league. They got the best coach uh, and they got a guy with a lot of money. Are they going to get a stadium? That's what I really, really want to know, because there's been a lot of rumors that they're going to announce something sooner than later in terms of a stadium. Well, it's long been rumored that they would not rebrand until they were getting a new stadium. So maybe this is the big indicator. And I think the reason they went with the letter in the middle is because the the Boston Red Sox have that iconic B. The Bruins have that big B in their logo. The Celtics is the big C. So I think this is a nod to it's the big yeah. R. It's a Boston okay. thing. That's what that's my take on the letter. It's even got a throwback style like the Red Sox one does. Um, and I think it's going to be pretty soon we're going to hear about the stadium because that's been the vibe for years. Every time I've ever asked people that kind of are in the mix of these things, when are they going to rebrand that thing? It's always like they're waiting for the stadium. So uh, maybe that's all just junk, but maybe it's true. Let's be realistic. They just got tired of people saying, hey, what the hell is that smudge that's next to the Patriots logo at Gillette Stadium? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, that's true. All right. Now, Buzz, you claim you have breaking news. Well, it's not my breaking news, but it is indeed breaking news. The Dynamo fired Tab Ramos 10 minutes ago. Oh. So that's big news in terms of Texas and rival Western Conference and whatever. Also. Before the last game of the season? Oh, wait. Their season's over now, isn't it? Yeah, they're done. They don't play on decision day. Right. So the question is, you remember he was in the running here two years ago. Would you like Tab Ramos better than you would like at some of the other candidates you can think of. I, I, you maybe I think I like him better than a lot of the candidates we've heard of for that. That roster down there has been trash for years and years and years. I don't think he has not been the problem. So I, you know, do you like him better than Marco? I, you know, I, I do. Well, yeah, I, I, there's a lot of things that I like, uh, better than Marco. Um, but I don't have a good assessment of his time in Houston just because of how poorly he was supported as a manager. But you know what? I, in total fairness, I almost feel like I could make the same argument for Lucci. Yeah. Um, other than the fact that because we actually were up close and watching Lucci, my issues with him no longer being manager here and the reason why I'm glad he's not are built around the way that I felt he lacked in terms of uh, being an actual manager, his substitutions, his pl- the players he picked to start, the way he communicated with the players. I mean, I feel like I have a level of understanding about that that I don't about Tab's time in Houston. Yeah, well, let's just remember back that he had that you know almost a decade run with the U twenty team, where he had a relatively amount of success compared to other U S managers. So he has experience with the FC Dallas Academy in that in those terms. He knows a lot of the guys that are on this roster, that are core pillars of this roster. He's got a lot of experience in this league now, and he's been dealing with a vastly superior, uh, inferior roster in Houston with no owner support. And bottom line in Houston, they have a new owner who wants to spend a whole lot of money, and like Monday they hired a new GM. Not at all shocking that the new owner and the new GM want their guy. So, you know, whether Tabron was, was a good coach and was well, was he doing good things with this roster or not, it's hard to know without being intimately involved with that franchise. But if you look at the caliber of over the years of the coaching candidates that FC Dallas has actually 
known that we've known about and the people they've actually hired. I think Tab Ramos, even right now, stands up well compared to almost any of those other. Like, I'm not averse to Quill. I'm not averse to Marco. I just think Tab Ramos in that mix looks pretty good. So I'd love. Uh, yeah, I, and he I was agree. a finalist for this job three years ago and turned it down because of the money. Now that probably hasn't changed, but maybe he's more desperate now. So <laughs> I or don't maybe, know. Or maybe the hunts are more desperate. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean I he, guess there's a legitimate question, which is if the hunts um, are are holding st- are holding steady on their refusal to pay big bucks for a manager, that really is going to limit the selection of people interested in the job. Absolutely. And and they did talk about wanting someone with more experience in this league. He's got that. You know, he's got international experience. I'm just saying, like, that resume compared to the resumes of people we know about seems legit to me. You know, I, I, whether it's a good idea or not, I mean, who the hell knows? But, you know, it's 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 an interesting name. And certainly it's an interesting news item just from being at FC Dallas Houston alone, you know, let alone. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that all these changes are happening in Houston, which is a club that hasn't made the playoffs in what feels like forever and and had started so well in Houston and have all of the elements of things that everybody tells me and insists are required for being a uh, you know a proper MLS side with the downtown stadium and all those things, yet they've somehow managed to screw that up in a bad way. Now, they did hire Pat Onstead the other day, as you mentioned, Buzz, is yeah. their new GM, who is a hero and legend at the club as a goalkeeper. And there's a quote from him in his press conference that I want to repeat. I want to I want to uh, read here, and it goes like this: There's just a lack of connection here between the team, the community, and the fans. That's a big bridge that we need to build again because I think that was something we had. That's something I hope to bring back to this group and to this team and to the fans. That's what drives me, and that's what excites me about this job. And yeah, I read but- that, and I I read that, and I thought to myself. We will never, ever hear that come out of the mouth of somebody related to FC Dallas. Yeah, well, certainly Houston, when they first got there and they won a couple of cups, they had some, a lot of big crowds. They had a big community you know, hook. They and, did. Yeah, and Dallas has never had that, at least never since leaving the Cotton Bowl, maybe. So and, you know, I agree with you. That, like, that's the main reason you're never going to hear that from FC Dallas. I, I do think that it, we talk to people from the front office, and one of the things that they com- – I'm not going to name any names. But one of the things they complain to us about – is like, you guys don't give us a fair shake on marketing. We do market this team. We do try and sell this team. I, I think that's ridiculous. I think they do a terrible job. And so it's hard for them to, for anyone that works for that team. People that work in marketing there admit they don't. Yeah. And look look at the way they interact with the supporters. Like, they don't make the supporters a valuable asset. They make them kind of a arm's length. They'd almost wish they would go away. They're not going to throw them out of the building like Chicago did or whatever, but you know, they, Until least... they want to use them in their social media. Yeah. You know, so well, <laughs> and that's the difference, right? You're, uh, you've got a couple of capable people and they're unfortunately the limit of their reach is, is social media. They don't, you know, if you kind of took that attitude into actual, the core marketing of the club, you would see far more success. I know, but that's kind of my that's kind of yeah. my point about the whole social media thing is is that everybody I keep being told that Dallas has got one of the best social media things going and I they keep do. thinking to myself the content in the social media in no way shape or form connects to the actual product or the people that you have to interact with in terms of the product, right? It's like it's almost as if somebody 
outside of the club hijacked control of the social media accounts and is just doing all this and nobody in the club itself that's actually doing all the stuff that is the club um, cares about it, right? Yeah. And that and that's the part to me that is so frustrating. I think you're actually 100% on the money there. It, it literally is a guy who, to me, is performing at a legitimate high level without any support or connectivity to what the rest of the marketing department and the rest of the club is doing, other than maybe the first team. You know, he's performing and he's doing the very best he can with no surf no no underpinning marketing plan or agenda to 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 latch it into you should, you know so like yes 100% they have this amazing social media guy yes 100% it's totally disconnected from the reality of the rest of the front office there's no question yeah i mean it's it's kind of funny like the you know the most successful almost support liaison they have right now is eddie the social media guy yeah uh, That's yeah. not how that job's supposed to work. He's no. doing. He's going way above and beyond what he's supposed to be doing because other people are not pulling their weight. Social media is a weird deal in 2021, and I think we all like to look at it and we all like to fawn over numbers and followers and engagements. But the reality is, there's very little financial value in that stuff if you can't execute on it. Half full stadiums render a billion followers and a trillion engagements worthless if you can't execute and convert those people into paying customers yeah you're 100 percent. yeah well no you're 100 percent correct yeah that's true very so true. while whoever hired eddie deserves credit for hiring eddie the entire organization is com is essentially wasting that they could fire him tomorrow and nothing and nothing would change for this club i agree yeah because they don't execute on that, and that and that to me is the uh, just one of about a thousand different disconnects that are going on uh, in this day and time. Hmm. I think I think Peter that like I agree with you one hundred percent. I think that we just I well, I'll speak for Dan, I'll speak for myself. I just choose to look at Eddie's work as social media guy and celebrate that work because I think it's fantastic. I totally agree that the club is dropping the ball and they're missing a massive opportunity to to use it effectively. Yeah, well, that doesn't mean that he's not doing great. No, and, and I don't want to, and I and I and I don't want to be the negative guy because you know the things that I feel about how the social media is a success slash failure for this club is in many ways reflective or in parallel with my feelings about everybody celebrating beating Austin at the end of a, <laughs> yeah. the second worst season in the in the club's history. Uh, and I don't want to drive down that road because I don't want to bum everybody out and get a bunch of hate emails. So I'll just well, end I mean, it there. You know, just celebrating a shiny new trophy, which is good. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's few support of trophies uh as as wonderful as brimstone cup is being the oldest one in existence there's not like a rivalry anymore being able to say that over the course of the season you finished above your rivals and the team that you know you may have a legitimate rivalry with in in a year or two the that's that's about as much as you can take out of a dog shit season yeah best um, moment of the season for sure yeah, no, I mean, don't have it, anything it, nice to say, don't say anything at all. <laughs> well, well, something nice, but uh, I mean, just going back to like the 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 quote from uh, Pat Armstead, I think the problem you have with FC Dallas is exactly what you're saying about social media, right? Because people like Eddie will say it, people like Garrett and PR will say it. 
I've heard Luchi Gonzalez say it. I've heard Marco... Actually, Marco just said it on Saturday. Pretty much almost exactly that. Well, that's great, but none of those are decision-makers in the marketing and supporter engagement side of things. You need uh, Chris Katsianis to say it. You need uh, Dan Hunt. You need a Jimmy Smith. You need those those people, the VP and above level, You the can actually push for change and you know maybe you know maybe some of this could be the shift towards getting people out to notice hey what the f-, you know do when they have their all hands meetings on the wednesday hey so uh yeah we noticed we're getting interaction with like the the, the real teams in in dfw and their fans are hitting us up so but we haven't converted that how do we convert that and then that starts that conversation Hmm. I'm not gonna hold my breath. Yeah, I'm not either. I mean, you remember a few <laughs> years ago, I did that big thing on market, and that supposedly spawned like a dozen meetings on acting on parts of it, and none of that ever happened in the end. It's it's weird, you know. If you go and read Pablo Morrow's article about the New England Revolution um, rebrand, and you read about all of the market studies and research and customer research that they did to help drive this, and even related to that. Even Chicago's attempt on the second try to fix this, the first screw up and all of the research and the way that they communicated that and the way they worked within the community to find out what the really good solution was. And then even again, the, the way that Columbus rectified their situation by screwing it up by changing the names, the way that they interacted with their fan base and connected with them and said, all right, how do we fix this problem that we created? Um, those are all things that I just don't see happening Ooh. over in Dallas. Yeah, so, I mean, the uh, Chicago thing's a great example because even if it's just for one game, they got 30,000 people in that stadium. Yeah, I mean, look, I know it took it took we we asked and we wondered and eventually at some point somebody got him on the phone and he he commented but this is the second worst season in this club's history, and we've heard essentially one comment out of Dan Hunt this entire time about how shitty this season has been, and we got a little bit out of him after he shit-canned Lucci, and that was, well, I still think this team is playoff capable, and we all kind of laughed in his face, um, and we have not heard anything from him again since then, and I think that's I, – I just – think that's fundamentally crap i guarantee you when they hire the next coach that he will say the exact same thing because of the conversation we had 30 minutes ago about how they're stuck with all these contracts they have to go with the narrative of this team is one or two guys away because you're going to get basically the same team for the next two seasons all right so i'm going to ask you one last question buzz yeah what is the temperature of the hot seat one being cool and comfy I'm here for a long time, and 10 is I'm literally getting ready to be pushed out the door of Andre Zanata. I'm going to go in the middle because um, I, I, a lot of the chatter I hear is that he has 100% the Dan Hunt ear, The Dan is totally bought into the Andre Zanata Kool-Aid. The caveat to that is that Clark is not here. The Clark's not in the building. And that Clark makes all the really big decisions anyway. We know that. Um, so I think there's a split that for, for Dan Hunt, it's probably zero. For Clark Hunt, it's probably on the other way. So mm. that's why I'm like in the middle because I, th- I think there's probably a difference between those two owners there. 
Ah, okay. And this brings up a topic that probably should have been earlier in the pod that I totally forgot, which was this thing that popped up on social media about uh, the agreement between Dallas and Gremio over Felipe and the sale of Santos and some sort of like grift they're trying to pull (laughs) on Dallas. Let me set the table. They essentially said, hey, look, how about you keep Felipe we just won't pay you whatever we owe you for Santos, who they remember is the critical component missing from this entire season and really was the first domino to the second worst season in club history, um, which then begged the question of, well, wait a second. You mean to tell me you sold your critical component and you still haven't gotten paid for him yet? Well, I, I actually believe that most um, sales actually happen over time like that. You hear all the time about clubs that are have these big debts and it's like, oh, they still owe $20 million for player Y. They still owe this, you know, the, so play over time is not news to me. Um, and sometimes it's a low enough number, you get a check. Most of the time, I think it's, they keep score somewhere and they mark things off. So this idea that just keep Philippe and we'll not pay you, that's actually a very common thing to have happen I believe. Now, remember that uh, Zanata is obviously quite hooked into the internal goings on of Gremio in the sense that he used to work there. You know, well, he that's had, where he came from. That, yeah, that was his job before FC Dallas was the same job. So anything that's getting leaked by Gremio probably is old information in the sense that they would just, whoever is running that team now will just call Zanata directly and have, you know, the chummy conversation because they know each other. So, like, for them to do that, they leaked it either to try and pressure the deal, which is not likely because we're like, that's a stupid offer or they did it to try and appease some part of their base that they were like looking to get rid of something. Or I don't even know what, cause I don't know enough about what their base cares about. So uh, to me, that's a false, uh, what's well, a red herring. It's a red herring leak and that it's a disingenuous piece of information. So, you know, I, I, I don't want, Tiago Santos back at this point because he's too old, and I don't want Felipe back either. So, it's a give me the money. I, I liked the the responses to it from all the Gremio fans who were like, "No, no, no, we'll pay the money. We'll give you Felipe, and can you take back Tiago Santos as well?" <laughs> <laughs> so I guess things haven't gone well down in Brazil with Gremio's uh, with uh, Santos's return. I take it supposedly not. I mean, well, I mean, it makes sense. He was kind of, you know, aging, slowing down, and it seems like that that kind of took its effect. Can we trade uh, Thiago Santos for Zanata? Have Thiago back, and you can keep Zanata? Well, Ooh. Dan Hunt won't like that because the yeah. guy that makes him money isn't... You um, didn't answer my question. What's yeah. his hot seat number, Buzz? I did. I told you it was in the middle. You just said middle. I want a number. Oh, five. Five. Man, that's low. Six? You think? No, no. You I, think no, no, he's no, in no. trouble? No, that's that's no, that's too. I'm um, no. I said ten was hot. No, I don't think he's in trouble. I think it's. Oh like no, a he's one. sitting on a block of ice. Yeah. yeah, it's like a one or a two. Uh, and the only thing is maybe you know a couple of the checks haven't showed up, and he's also probably responsible for uh, getting payments done too. So uh, well, I mean, you know, maybe that. That's part and parcel of it. No one gets paid up front. Well. Anymore. Listen, the, I, I still think the caveat to that is that we all know the person really making the big, huge, massive decisions is Clark. And Clark checks in, like, checks in once or twice a year. It's possible. Like, they checked in with him in midseason and fired Lucci. He's now going to check in again, like in Christmas. Like, when he goes home, he's going to open his mail 
And he's going to look at all the SC Dallas shit. He's going to go, well, damn, who can we fire? And Zanata's going to be the guy. I can't fire Dan. Right? <laughs> so... <laughs> You just brought up like this image in my head that Clark's like, you know, bored, sitting on the toilet, taking a yeah. dump. And he's like, oh, wait, I haven't looked at the FC Dallas books in a no, while. No, no. What in the world is going on? And he's sitting by the fire with his pipe and his hot toddy wearing his smoking jacket, reading his Christmas uh, cards from everybody else. And here's the one that's got the FC Dallas hate mail in it. He's going to go, what the hell's going on? And he's going to look and he's going to be like, so that's the caveat to like, the, yes, block of ice as far as Dan Hunt's concerned. You just never know with Clark. When he's going to swoop in and just go whoosh and kill everybody. We'll say, it, you know, that's, we probably shouldn't push the idea that he's not connected to the team. I mean, he goes to most of the games. Clark, Clark does? He does, yeah. Man, I don't know if I've seen Clark Hunt oh. at a doubt. Well, I, I shouldn't talk. I've been to so few games this year. I, maybe I'm I'm the one that's lost. Uh, he's I've, nearly hit me with his Porsche a few times. Oh, I would have said once a year, man. He probably did that on purpose, Dan. No, he, uh, he. I see him quite a lot. Yeah, yeah right. I mean, he. You know, he goes to the game on Saturday and then he flies up to Kansas City after. All right. Well, this is probably a bad segue into this. I apologize, Andrew. But Third Degree, the podcast, is brought to you by Soccer 90. Soccer 90 is your source for all things FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. They got jerseys, scarves, tees, and more from all your favorite clubs and teams keychains too i think and bumper stickers and you third degree listeners get 25 percent all off all of that stuff when you use the code third degree at checkout at soccer 90.com daniel it's always awesome to talk soccer with you and then of course buzz thanks man i appreciate it thanks for letting me do this oh you're welcome good good fun thank you for being here we now have a seven coach watch to enjoy third degree all right. Well, thank you, FC Dallas Curious fans. We'll speak to you next time. The season will be completed. And uh, we'll talk about the 2022 next edition.